You can't have a vital Christianity without a personal confrontation with Jesus Christ. Our religion that you and I claim we believe in, you see, is more than just a code of ethics or a listing of thou shalts and thou shalt nots. It's a vital relationship with a person. The person Jesus Christ who was born, who lived, who walked up and down the hillsides of Palestine, who was crucified, who died, who was resurrected, who appeared unto his disciples and those who believed on him, who ascended into heaven, who will come again, but who is with us now by the power of his Holy Spirit. That person, Jesus Christ, is the foundation and the bulwark upon which a person's vital Christianity rests. And I don't care how many times you go to church, how many classes you attend, if you have not that confrontation, the vitalness of your Christian faith will not be there. This is necessary. We didn't make the rules. Jesus did. Unless you are born again, you shall not see the kingdom of God. You must be born again. And just as no individual can live a physical life without first going through the experience of birth in the mother's womb. So also a person cannot have vital spiritual life without going through the rebirth process of conversion. Now we must not be too dogmatic though in describing what this conversion is to be like. For no two of us go through the same kind of conversion experience. For some, there will be the dramatic, climatic, wonderful experience where it happens in an instant of a moment. When the Apostle Paul was still Saul, you remember he was knocked to the ground, he was blinded. But he confronted Jesus Christ and he was never the same after and his name was changed from Saul to Paul and he became the greatest layman preacher in the history of the church. Some people, and I've counseled with individuals who have had that type of Pauline conversion where suddenly for some reason their eyes are open and they hear things that they've listened to before but have never heard. It's just like in the clapping of a hand, in an instant of a second, they're reborn and they're completely changed because their heart has confronted Jesus Christ. For other people it's not nearly as dramatic. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, he found that experience while sitting in church. There was no shouting, no rolling down the aisle, no great ponds of tears. He simply says in his own work that he felt strangely warmed within as anybody does when he stumbles upon a new insight, a new truth. And he made a venture of faith and a decision. Even though he had believed in Jesus all of his life, that moment he had a real confrontation with his Lord and was never the same after. Sometimes these decisions come to us through a multitude of minor decisions which we make and which slowly are reorienting our lives so that now we live for Christ and not for self. I don't know how it happens, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, it does happen. I've seen it happen right here in this church, in the counseling room, 
I've seen it in some of your homes. And I don't want to frighten some of you, but I know if I can read signs of the Spirit, some of you are right on the verge of a new confrontation with Jesus Christ. Yes. And that's good. Because you have to have that to have a vital Christianity. Another ingredient, the second C, consultation. Consultation with those people who have had a confrontation with Jesus Christ. Nobody, nobody just stumbles upon a vital Christianity. It just doesn't work that way. It comes only when you spend time, effort, when you study the Masters, when you open books, when you use the disciplines of study and prayer and resource. It took the Apostle Paul a long, long time before he preached his first sermon. And it was only after consultation with Peter and James and, and some of the others, after spending time thinking and rethinking your position and idea after the confrontation. You know, we do this in every other line of work. If you want to teach your child how to play the piano, you don't send him or her to a plumber, unless the plumber's a good pianist. You send that person to someone who has mastered the keyboard. If you want your youth to know something about science, you don't send them to the preacher's study. You send them to the laboratory and to the scientist where he can, where he can study under the wisdom and the guidance and support of somebody who knows what he or she's talking about. It's the same way. If you want to know about Jesus Christ, you study, you, you use what integrity you have in using the academic disciplines to try to learn. It's never easy, usually very difficult, but that's the way you grow. And there are so many masters from whom we can learn. The Bible's full of them. That's how you find out how it is that you get a vital Christianity. Try reading Augustine's Confessions or Thomas Akempis's The Imitation of Christ or Kelly's The Testament of Devotion. And if those are too old for you, may I suggest Keith Miller. <laughs> you see, that's why we're going through this particular program, to enable you to consult with someone who is still living, who is a layman, who did not know Jesus Christ through much of his life, and who lays open his soul to share with you the experiences, the decisions, the distress and the discouragements which he has known. And when you study and you consult, you'd be surprised what support that gives to your Christianity becoming vital. The third, continuation. Continuation in worship. It concerns me greatly when I see people deliberately staying away from worship in their own church or in some other church. But when they really begin to feel that they don't need to assemble themselves with other Christians, when they don't sing the hymns and join in the prayers and try to be attentive to what is going on. That, that greatly troubles me, and I, I must admit that throughout the United States, one of the big things that they're talking about in church attendance is the increase of the decrease. 
which means nationally things are not going very well. I know in the case of Pittsburgh Presbytery, we have 193 churches in this Allegheny County. Very few churches, one thank the Lord, we're one of them, was able to show an increase in membership last year. But when you take all 193, the books show that in 1975, United Presbyterians were lost to the total number of 4,183 just in Allegheny County. We lost over 4,100 members, and that's a net figure. Why? Now, I'm sure you can find many different reasons. For the first time, though, in the history of the denomination in Pittsburgh Presbytery, which was formed in 1958, we have fallen below the 100,000 United Presbyterians in Allegheny County. We finished 75 with 98,099 members. Since the merger in 58, we have lost 33,800 people. Now, that's a disturbing figure. That says to me a lot of people are saying they can do without church. And what is worse, they can do without worship. Of the 98,000 that we had at the end of 1975, only 33,700 would attend worship on an average Sunday morning. That's right. Only one out of every three United Presbyterians attends worship regularly. And that figure distresses me immensely. I had the privilege of speaking to this at Presbytery 10 days ago. And I asked, as my position as moderator, for support from all of the United Presbyterian elders in Allegheny County, and active, active ruling elders. In Allegheny County, we have 3,000 of you, plus 351 ministers on the roll at Pittsburgh Presbytery. I asked them, please, to support us in a program not of just getting church members, that's sometimes played in the numbers game, and that doesn't do, I don't think, anyone any good. But ask each one of them to go and ask and invite and bring someone who is unchurch, anti-church, or has given up on the church to come to worship with them. Every elder in this presbytery has been asked to bring one person per month for the remainder of the year. We're hoping here in Bakerstown to get 21 people a month back into this worship service. And we need your help. I've asked every session, every month, to spend time in the sharing between elders of their frustrations, their difficulties, their problems. I got an elder who wrote me this past week from another church, praising God for the efforts that's trying to be made and asking and sharing the support and the, the problems which she is having in getting her one person per month. I'm asking all of the churches to talk about this, and we're going to keep record to see how many United Presbyterians worship every week for the remainder of this year. And we'll be trying to report these if all the churches cooperate so that you can get excited to know about your brothers and sisters who do get out 
to make the disciplined sacrifice of being at worship. And I hope you'll support us on this, because you see, these are very, very essential if you're going to have vital Christians. We're not just after-church people to fill the place up on Sunday morning. Oh, we need the support, don't get me wrong. But when you don't come to worship, I think you are robbing yourselves of the opportunity to have a vital Christian faith. So that wherever you work or wherever you live, people know and recognize Jesus Christ. And we can get within this county a spirit of revivalism. A spirit that Christ is alive through the churches, United Presbyterian churches in Allegheny County. You know, it's very difficult for me, and maybe it's because I'm considered a professional within the church, to know why people don't come to worship. I know we ministers sometimes, we're the reason. And this should never be an excuse for us not to try to do our best week after week or service after service. But I hear people saying sometimes, well, the service it really just doesn't mean much to me. Well, I don't think that really has too much to do with it. Or they say the Sunday school, it's boring for our children, yeah? But I wish we could instill the idea, whether it's church school education or secular school education, that education was never considered to be entertainment. It's a discipline. Like eating and sleeping and exercising. We get a poor meal once in a while. We don't give up on eating, do we? No. Did you hear the story this past week about the chap who was out of town? He was going down the street and he passed the bakery shop and inside he saw a sign, home-baked pies, and he went in and said, now what does that mean? Sales clerk says, well now, young man, that means that we have pies just like your mother baked. Just like my mother baked? Yes, came the reply. He says, I'll take a dozen cookies. <laughs> Mom misses it once in a while, doesn't she? And some women can't bake pies. But we don't quit eating pie. As you've already noticed, I, with a lot of you who are coughing and sneezing, I've been wrestling with that hog's flu or whatever it's called that they've given it the name this year. And last night I couldn't sleep because I couldn't breathe through the nostrils. But I haven't given up on sleep. <laughs> I'm going there as soon as I get out of this service today. You see, why give up the church? Because maybe a service was not suiting to you. Or maybe you don't like the minister. Or maybe it's a little boring. Every time I hear that, I can't help but think of Jesus, the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. The number of services that Jesus must have sat through when the preacher wasn't properly prepared. The number of class school lessons that he must have had to listen to when the teacher was absolutely wrong. Yet we read in Luke's gospel, as was his custom, Jesus went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for anybody who wants a vital Christianity. Confrontation, consultation, continuation in worship, 
Consideration of other people. That's the fourth one. That's what you have to have in the Christian faith if you're going to be vital. And that doesn't always come, ladies and gentlemen, because you see conversion really, and don't take me wrong when I say that, but conversion really is a selfish experience. Yes, you think through your own conversion or your own confrontation. We all came into it the same way, feeling sorry for ourselves. We've gone through some particular hellish experience. We've known what it is to be without God, and we've thrown our mercy on God through Jesus Christ and said, please, Lord, take over. I've made a mess of it already. You take over. Now, that, that's wonderful, but it still has come from a selfish motivation. And you can continue in the Christian faith for a long time being very selfish, just trying to get what you can, go from Bible study to Bible study, from group to group, getting, getting, getting. And you never get the central message of Jesus Christ, which is giving, giving, giving. Whosoever tries to save his life, he's going to lose it. But whoever gives of his life, for my sake and the gospel, he'll find it. And you see this transference has to take place. And it comes when you are continuous in worship and when you consult the masters. You'll begin to see that true Christianity is going out there, not coming in here. And when you get the vision, as so many people have in this church, and I thank God for you, then not only you, but the church becomes vital. A church that does not give of itself in time and money is not a vital church. But vital churches are made up of vital people, and thank God we have them here. We need more, but thank God we have them. And the last C, I think, it is consecration. Consecration, where again and again and again we realize, recommit, and understand who we are. We are people, ladies and gentlemen, who are not here voluntarily. Do you realize that? We have been called, called by God to be in mission with him and for him. We are people who have been entrusted with holy things. We are people who God himself has chosen to be ambassadors and reconcilers. We are people who have been entrusted by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us with the sacred things that God would want his people to know and have. And God has given us not the spirit of timidity, fear, but he has given us the power of love, of power, and of self-control. Now remember that. And when you get this vision of who you are, that in the sight of God you are important and that God needs us, that sets you on fire. There is not one institution or organization in America today that does not need revitalization. You've been awake and alert and have gone to anything to which you've belonged to, which has been strong in the past. You know today it's not strong anymore. And that's a shame. Organizations and institutions need revitalized, but they are revitalized one way, only through people. And ladies and gentlemen, the church 
the morality of our country, the kingdom of God needs vital Christians today. And if we are not those Christians, how's it going to be done? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, we are not our own, but we are bought with a price. Thank you for the gifts you have given us and for the identity that you have made us. And now may the grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be and abide with us all. And help us, Father, to be vital Christians in thy name. Amen.